0: and welcome to the bleachers let's talk some sports hey i am glad you could be here i am don glenn the host and this is the first episode of talking sports on the bleachers this show is going to be about sports news and my take on the news of the day. We'll also have a topic or two, depending on time, and uh, I'm going to try and bring some guests for some more in-depth uh, insight on certain topics. I want to thank a couple of people to start off. I want to thank uh, Ron Nuttall and Mike Stevenson for helping me with the resources and the how-tos for podcasting. If you're looking for news and information involving the St. Louis bi-state area, as well as regional and national coverage of sports, then check out gatewaycitysports.com. We cover all things St. Louis and beyond. We cover the Cardinals, the Blues, the Battle Hawks. We cover the NFL, the NCAA. We try to bring you as much of the sports world as we can. Drop in and give us a look-see. If you follow a sport and we don't cover it, let us know. We'll do what we can to make it happen. We have a lot of writers and contributors who enjoy covering the sports scene and are willing to write and talk about it. We have podcasts like the team of rivals with Ron Nuttall, Elliot Dewey, Pete Geddes, Two for Three with the moose, Mike Stevenson, Yakker Jacks with Brian Papaswope, and the often imitated but never duplicated Derek King Sports Show. I want to take this opportunity to dedicate this first episode to my late father. He was a big sports fan all his life. He wrestled in high school. He was a fast pitch softball player in the late fifties. He coached youth baseball, little league and Babe Ruth. He coached girls, fast pitch softball. He umpired baseball and softball for, I don't know how many years. It was (laughs) a good amount. Uh, He was an avid bowler, a big St. Louis Cardinal baseball fan, University of Illinois fan. He supported me in my endeavors in football, baseball, and bowling. I got the chance to bowl with him on teams, and we competed in uh, local tournaments around the area. We played slow-pitch softball together. He taught me a lot about sports. Many of our conversations on the porch or out fishing revolved around sports and the sports world. It was his love of sports and wanting to give back that inspired me to coach youth bowling for 35 years. So this first show is in honor of Don Glenn Sr. Like my father, I too am a big St. Louis Cardinal fan, University of Illinois fan. I'm a Green Bay Packer fan. I follow the blues. I'm not as up to speed on the intricacies intricacies of the game of hockey. But I'm learning and I'm having a lot of fun watching. So now that all the pleasantries are over, let's get to sports. Let's start with the NFL. This year in the NFL should be deemed the year of dysfunction. John Gruden's email gate. Henry Ruggs' DUI crash. Then you have the Aaron Rodgers COVID fiasco. Congress taking up an investigation into a sexual harassment investigation that was done by the NFL concerning the Washington football team. And then what is uh, of interest to the St. Louis area is the settlement of a lawsuit involving the city of St. Louis, the county of St. Louis, and the Regional Sports Complex Authority when they sued the NFL and Stan Kroenke for moving the Rams— from St. Louis to Los Angeles in 2016. There was a lot of details that were uncovered that, on the one hand, Kroenke and the NFL were saying they were committed to the city of St. Louis and the franchise of the Rams when, in fact, there were already movements underfoot with other owners and real estate deals to move the Rams from St. Louis to Los Angeles. The settlement was worth $790 million. A lot of people said St. Louis could have got more, and they could have actually got some from the NFL, as the 790 million is going to be solely the responsibility of Stan Kroenke. I don't claim to know all of this, and I know somebody who does. It's one of those things, I know a guy. (laughs) I'm going to try and get him on. I want to try and bring Derrick King on. And he's been following this since it's been going on. And I don't know of another person that knows any more than he does. So I'm going to effort getting him on the show and we can do some talk about that and the NFL in general. All right, let's move on to baseball. There have only been two managerial changes so far. Uh, Mike Schilt out as the Cardinal skipper, Oliver Marmold is in, um, Philosophical differences led to the firing of Schilt, which nobody really knows what those differences are, but it is rumored to revolve around uh, analytics, so we'll we'll see if Marmol has any better luck than a 90-win manager. I don't know. Uh, Also, the Cardinals hired Skip Schumacher from the San Diego Padres to be their bench coach, and then Turner Ward. To take over the assistant hitting coach role, he replaces uh, uh, Jabel Jimenez, and a question I have, do any Cardinal fans, or have, or did, any Cardinal fans ever see Jabel Jimenez? I don't know. The San Diego Padres fired Jace Tingler and replaced him with Bob Melvin from the Oakland A's, I think this move is to get control of the clubhouse because the implosion that you saw at the late half or second half of the season with the Padres, that speaks of clubhouse dysfunction. And Melvin is known to run a tight clubhouse. So I think uh, along with him being a good field manager, controlling the clubhouse was of a, a uh, prominent uh, duty for Bob Melvin to accomplish. So now the A's have a job available, as well as the New York Mets. And speaking of the Mets, not only are they did they fire their manager, but they've fired two general managers this year. Jared Porter was fired in January amid allegations of sexual messages that were sent to a female reporter when he was with the Chicago Cubs in 2016. Zach Scott was interim general manager. He was suspended in September after a DUI arrest, then he was fired in November. Billy Epler is the new general manager. And you just have to wonder just what kind of dysfunction is going on with the Mets. Just what kind of a dumpster fire do Sandy Alderson and Steve Cohen have going over there? Because according to reports, they offered the general manager job to Theo Epstein Billy Bean, David Stearns, Gene Afterman, and Michael Gersh. All of them turned them down. So I don't know if Epler really understands what he signed up for. I think he's going to need a supply of Tums, Pepto-Bismol, and a few hundred stress balls to get through working with the Mets. Uh, Over Thanksgiving weekend, free agents just seemed to have their way with owners. A ton of money was handed out. And here are just a few of the salaries that were given out. Max Scherzer, three years, $130 million to the Mets. Corey Seeger, 10 years, $325 million to the Rangers. Sterling Marte, four years, $78 million to the Mets. He was the cheap one of this bunch. Marcus Simeon, Simeon, seven years, $175 million to the Rangers. Robbie Ray, five years, $115 million to the Mariners. Kevin Gausman, five years, $110 million to the Blue Jays. I think this was a panic mode because the owners were realizing that the CBA was not going to make its deadline by the 1st of December. So they wanted to get big fish while they could. When the Hot Stove League gets going again, well, we'll have a little bit more discussion and coverage as we go. Now, we all know how important it is to stay protected. When life throws you a curve, you need protection, and that's why you need Allstate. The Wiley Group has two locations in Festus and Arnold to serve you. They offer home, auto, boat, motorcycle, business, life insurance, investments, and so much more. They offer a customized approach that's unique to your situation to make sure you, your family, and your assets are properly protected. They also offer great rates and savings, so give Sean Wiley and his team a call today, 636-764-6294. They'll help you with an insurance quote right over the phone. Even give them a call if you just want to talk sports. They do that too. We all have busy lives. So you can also email Sean at SeanWiley at Allstate.com and talk to him about your coverage options. And remember, you're in good hands with Allstate. Is there a better tagline than that? I don't know if there is. Okay. Uh, Now let's talk about the Cardinals real quick here. There were five gold gloves issued to Cardinal players this year. Nolan Arenado got his ninth consecutive Gold Glove. Um, Paul Goldschmidt his fourth. Tyler O'Neill his second consecutive Gold Glove. Tommy Edmund and Harrison Bader each won their first. The Cardinals as a team won the National League Gold Glove, and Nolan Arenado received a Platinum Glove for the fifth consecutive year. He's won the most Platinum Gloves since the awards have been established. And he's just ahead of some guy named Molina. He's got four. No Cardinals were named to the 2021 All MOB team, even though five were nominated Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, Tyler O'Neill, Adam Wainwright, and Giovanni Gallegos. Dylan Carlson finished third in the National League Rookie of the year. the year. The award was won by Jonathan India. The American League Rookie of the Year was won by a former Cardinal. Randy Rosarina of the Tampa Bay Rays. Mike Schilt finished third in Manager of the Year. Winner was Gabe Kapler of the Giants. In player moves so far, the Cardinals officially elected to not exercise team options on Matt Carpenter and Carlos Martinez, thereby allowing both of them to become free agents. The Cardinals did make a couple of signings. They signed TJ McFarland to a one year deal worth $2.5 million. McFarland is 32. Appeared in 38 games for the Cardinals last year, was 4-1 with a 2.56 ERA. He had a uh, that 18-1-3rd inning scoreless streak from August 3rd to September 9th. I think he'll provide some stability for the bullpen with all the young kids and uh, a good arm from the left side. The Cardinals also signed another left-hander, Stephen Matz, formerly the Blue Jays, a starter to four years at $44 million. Mats is 30 years old, 14-7 last year with a 3.82 ERA. He's also another guy that throws strikes and keeps the ball down. And with the Cardinal infield, he could have a really good year and be a really good part of the rotation. The Arizona Fall League, six players from the Cardinals played in the Arizona Fall League. They were Lars Nukbar, Juan Yepes, Nolan Gorman, Brendan Donovan, Zach Thompson, and Jordan Hicks. I think uh, Newt Barr will be the Cardinals' fourth outfield. I don't think there's any discussion about that. Uh, yep, as good see time as a bench bat DH as well. Nolan Gorman could also see time this year with the Major League Club, but I think he's going to probably spend most of the year in Memphis getting used to second base. Gorman's stay in the fall league was cut short due to some injury. He uh, did play in six games, hit 375. A 565 on base, 625 uh, slugging for an 1190 OPS. Uh, Lars Newt and Yepez were named to the all AFL team. Yepes was named the co-hitter of the year. Newt hit 314, 437 on base, a 643 slugging for a 1080, 1080 uh, OPS. He had five home runs, 13 RBIs, and only 70 at-bats. Yepes was 302, 388 on base, a 640 slugging, 1020 OPS, seven home runs, 26 RBIs, and 86 at bats. Thompson was used in relief, Uh, nine games. He was 3 0, one save, ERA of 1.56, but had a very high whip of 1.637 or 673 and a 1.47 strikeout to walk ratio. Both of those numbers are going to – well, they're going to have to improve if he's going to be a starter in the major leagues or even a reliever for that point. He'll be back in the starting rotation for Memphis to start the season. Jordan Hicks started two games in the fall league, uh, 9.64 ERA, a 1.714 whip. He only pitched four and a third innings um, and then left to concentrate on gaining arm strength and control before spring training. Now one player that was a surprise of the Fall League was Brendan Donovan. The number 17 prospect in the Cardinal farm system made a big impression in the Fall League. 3.08 with a 4.22 on base, a 5.19 slugging for a 9.41 OPS, two home runs, eight RBIs, and only 52 at bats. He came on after uh, Gorman got hurt. He was the last player selected for the uh, AFL All-Star team, and that was by a vote for the fans. I think they call it the final final vote. Uh, In all, five of the six players uh, were voted to the AFL All-Star team. 40-man roster moves. The Cardinals added Donovan to the 40-man roster, mostly because of his success in the fall league. He's listed as the third baseman, but he played the outfield and infield at Memphis and played second base in the fall league. Two right-handed pitchers from the minor league system were added, Freddie Pacheco and Jake Walsh. Now, neither of these guys are top 30 prospects, but St. Louis felt that they were worth putting on the 40-man. Now, the talk is not who was added to the 40-man, but who was left off the 40-man. And the Cardinals had four positions still available on the 40-man roster. Delvin Perez, the number 12 prospect, and Luke and Baker, the number 13 prospect, were left off. This leaves them vulnerable to the Rule 5 draft. Now, the Rule 5 draft is where teams can draft players from, your, from other teams in the minor league system. The only caveat being that they must carry that player on their 40-man roster for the entire year or offer him back to the team that they uh, drafted him from. So this is the time of year that Ron Nuttle always gets nervous. He hates the Rule 5 draft because it seems like over the last few years, the Padres always seem to take a player from the Cardinal system. And he either does well or they trade him for some major piece or something. And, um, you know, Ron, that kind of gets in his craw. So hopefully the uh, Padres will uh, bypass the Cardinals this year and Ron can rest easy. Uh, as with the hot stove league, as the year goes on and the offseason goes on, I'll uh, have more coverage of the Cardinals. So let's talk about the CBA. Okay, everybody knows it didn't go well or haven't, hasn't gone well. And there's a lockout. Now, if you believe Rob Manfred, and I don't know why anyone would, the lockout was to prevent what happened in 1994 when the CBA expired and the season was started and they negotiated. And then in August, the players reached an impasse and strike or a road, instituted a strike, and it cost a postseason. There was no World Series, no nothing. Now, while there may be that recent history to draw on, I don't think there's really any evidence that putting a lockout down this early is going to have the effect desired. It might. Maybe Manfred knows what he's doing. But I just I I don't see where that's going to force the union to move on their demands. So what does 40 what does the lockout mean? Well, it means teams cannot. Do anything with their forty-man roster in the way of trades or free agent signings or promoting from the minor leagues. So the forty-man roster, whatever you've got on there, it's set. You can't even talk to them. The players are locked out from team facilities. The winter meetings are are done. They are going to be canceled um, because what the main focus is, besides having um, rule changes and stuff that are discussed, is free agents and trades and things of that nature. So basically, this also will prevent or at least delay the Rule 5 draft. So basically, any kind of uh, activity other than minor league activity is not going to happen until there's an agreement reached. Now, what the union wants is more value in the free agency system. They are wanting to cut the time to from six years to reach free agency to five years. They want to do that by taking a year off the arbitration uh, time frame, which is currently three years. They want to reduce that to two. This also relates to service time issue of service time manipulation. This is delaying when players enter the major leagues so the clubs gain an extra year of control. This happens quite frequently, and it's been done for a long time. It's commonplace. Uh, it shouldn't be, but it is. Now, the owners did try to address this. They proposed doing away with arbitration and instituting a performance-based pay scale, then granting free agency at 29 and a half years, regardless of service time. This would still give teams control of players for a good number of years, though, and in some cases, it would take longer to reach free agency than the current system. Not surprisingly, the union said no. Go figure. Tanking is also an issue where teams that fall out of contention trade players with large contracts for prospects. Uh, one answer that the owners had was to institute a salary floor, making teams spend a minimum amount. And then uh, along with that, they wanted to decrease the luxury tax, which The union sees this as a soft cap, and it really is a soft cap, but they wanted to lower that to create a narrower window and therefore more competition or competitive balance. Uh, But the union doesn't like that because they want unlimited ceiling. They like the floor, but they want a higher uh, ceiling. Uh, They also want transparency on how revenue is calculated. They essentially want teams to open their financial ledgers so the players know how much the teams make and from where. Media revenue, ticket sales, merchandising, parking, real estate investments, and all that kind of stuff. I don't see the players winning this fight as the teams are private entities and do not have to open their books unless they want to. Uh, Field issues, the DH is still, I think, most likely head of the National League. It'll be universal. I don't like it but it's coming. I'll deal with it. Playoff expansion is said to be on the table. I don't like that. I don't even like two wild cards. Uh, Baseball has been unique in exclusivity of the playoff system. I don't want to see that watered down any more than it is. Two wild card teams are more than enough because the playoffs are about winners, not participation trophies. Now, I will say that uh, expanding the current uh, wild card to a three-game series from a one-game playoff, I like that idea. If you're gonna have two wild cards, you need to have a three-game playoff. Uh, seven inning doubleheaders and the runner on second and next range are said to be out the door. They should also do that with a three-batter minimum as well. League is experimenting with tackier baseballs in an attempt to prevent doctoring. Other things addressing the shift like addressing the shift, uh, oversized bases. Robot umpires and all that kind of stuff. Uh, they're probably going to get some lip service uh, because the r- reports are that the owners are trying to back off on rule changes to try and entice uh, the uh, union to negotiate. I don't think that's going to work. As as far as the shift goes, and I'll just say this: baseball brought that them on themselves by the overuse of analytics. They let it to be a pull-hit league, and if a guy is going to do nothing but pull the ball, why shouldn't the defense play that accordingly? So if baseball wants to fix that, what they need to do is get away from pull-hitting and teach players to hit to all fields. That will stop extreme shifting. Okay, this is an official rant warning. If any players or team officials or league officials listen to this or anyone who knows someone like that shares this podcast, I have a message for the league officials and the uh, the, uh, players. Quit being stupid. You have taken a grand game and made a mockery out of it. To MLB, if you want more revenue and fans to see the game, remove blackout restrictions. What good does it do to blackout games if you want more people to watch? Second, quit with all the damn rule changes. The baseball game that we grew up playing did, does not need massive rule changes. Tweaking here and there? Maybe, but not these massive rule changes. Third, fire Rob Manfred. End of story. To the players. First, quit being greedy. Rookies make five or six times more than the average blue collar worker. They expect and then you expect us to feel sorry for you. I don't. Second, you bitch about free agency, yet guys are pulling down seven and ten-year contracts worth two to three hundred million dollars or more. You're not gonna find any sympathy from me. As my dad used to say, you'll find sympathy between shit and syphilis in the dictionary. I mean, you've got Max Scherzer out there. Making more than the combined roster of the Pirates or the Orioles. How is that right? And then you claim you want more free, you want higher free agency. Give me a break. Third, guaranteed contracts. Even the younger players can't make less than five hundred seventy-five thousand dollars a year, and yet you're not being treated fair. Tell the guy that sits there and works a nine-to-five job that he's being treated more fair when. His employer can fire him anytime he wants for any reason. You know, again, both sides need to stop acting like eighth-grade schoolgirls fighting over a popular boy at school. It is disgusting, and the people that pay the, the people that pay the price of the fans—we have to pay eight dollars for a hot dog, twelve fifty for a beer—and we're supposed to like that and be happy because your guys are playing baseball, and you wonder why people don't come to this game. This is called lunacy. Get your house in order, play the game, and deal with it. All right, I'm going to step down now before I stress out too much and raise my blood pressure. Let me get a sip of water here. All right, speaking of stress, we all know buying a vehicle can be stressful, but it doesn't have to be. 5th Street Motors, located at 2044 Rose Lane in Pacific, Missouri, will help you find a vehicle no matter what brand. 5th Street Motors believes in giving you the best price on a pre-owned vehicle that will fit your budget. So give Brandon or Don a call today at 573-259-1306. Tell them Gateway City Sports sent you. All right, I want to talk some happy stuff, so let's talk about Illinois sports. That'll make me happy. I'll start with football. Brett Beal's first season as the head man in Illinois has been a roller coaster. He was hired under a fair amount of optimism and skepticism. After losing running back Mike Epstein, top linebacker Jake Hansen, and defensive back CJ Hart early in the season, people had some dim prospects of what was going to happen the rest of the year. But a number of players stepped up. Illinois finished 5 and 7, signature wins over number 7 Penn State in nine overtimes and number 20 Minnesota. In the running game, Chase Brown 1005 net yards rushing and freshman Josh McCrae added 549 net yards rushing. Gave Illinois a legitimate running attack, one that teams had to respect. Likewise, on defense, it was guys like senior linebackers Owen Carney Jr. and Isaiah Gay, who combined had nine and a half sacks and eighteen tackles for loss. Redshirt freshman lineman Keith Randolph Jr. and Newton Zerzon, Zird- excuse me, ninety-two tackles between those two guys, seven sacks, nine and a half tackles for loss. Now, the secondary was thought to be thin, and then they lost heart. But here again, guys stepped up. No one bigger than junior defensive back Kirby Joseph. Ended up being the number one rated defensive back in the nation. 57 tackles, one sack, five interceptions, three fumble recoveries, and one safety. He's tied for first in the nation in interceptions, second in the nation in fumble recoveries, He's the only player in the nation with five-plus interceptions and three-plus fumble recoveries. He was named All-Big Ten First Team. Uh, He should have been. Sophomore defensive back Devon Weatherspoon, 52 tackles, eight tackles for a loss, one sack, and nine broken-up passes. He was all over the field, such as was junior Jartavius Martin, 55 tackles, three-and-a-half sacks, One interception, seven broken up passes, one forced fumble. Senior defensive back Tony Adams, 63 tackles, one interception, three and a half sacks, five broken up passes. The defense stepped up. And I think it's because of the defensive coordinator, Ryan Walters, formerly from the University of Missouri. He's already been given, because of the defense this year, he's already been given a contract extension through 2024. And I think it's well warranted. He's a finalist for the Broyles Award, honoring top assistant coaches in in NCW football. Uh, The defense steadily improved all year. They gave up 101 points in the first three games. That's why there was large skepticism. Over the next nine games, they gave up or averaged 16.6 points per game, allowing 148 points. Now, the opponents actually scored 162, but in the Iowa game, One touchdown was a pick six, and one was a kickoff return, so that's not the responsibility of the defense. Compared to last year defensively, Illinois allowed 34.9 points per game. This year, as a team, they are allowing 21.92 points per game, defensively 20.7. This is what fans have been wanting when they hired Lovie Smith five years ago, was defense. They didn't get it. They've got it with this guy. And I think uh, Belo made a really great hire with Ryan Walters. And Uncle Frank, you cannot have him back at Missouri. End of story. Thank you very much. Uh, special teams is another area that really performed well. Senior punter Blake Hayes was named a finalist for the Ray Guy Award for the best college punter. 68 punts, averaged 45 yards a punt, 34 punts inside the 20, and 16 punts of 50 yards or more, including an 80-yarder. Place kicker senior James McCourt, 51 kickoffs, 42 touchbacks, averaged 64.6 yards per kick. He was 18 for 23 in field goals. Now, that doesn't sound real good, missing five field goals, but four of the misses were from 50 yards or more and he hit four field goals from 50 yards or more. The biggest issue at Illinois is the quarterback position, only averaging 156 yards from, through the air and barely a 50% completion rate. It's clear that a large part of the offensive woes came from not having a stable passing game. Senior or Super senior Brandon Peters and sophomore transfer Art Zikowski both had inconsistent at times, or inconsistent games at times, I should say. Peters did miss a couple games on two different occasions because of injury. Sitkowski was injured late in the Penn State game, um, needing season ending arm surgery. He's going to have or is having uh, shoulder surgery in the offseason. He will not be available for spring drills. He will be available in the fall. But I think um, Bielema is going to have to find another quarterback. I really do. Uh, speaking of the recruiting for Bielema, when he first got here, the relationships with some of the top high school coaches in the state were very strained and even alienated in some senses by Lovey Smith. Now they were already strained under the uh, Tim Beckman and Bill Cubit years, um, but. Bielema seems to have rebuilt a lot of those. Um, still a little bit of trust issues because it is it is his first year. Um, he did manage to get five kids ranked in a top 20 in the state this year. And uh, nationally, he's doing well also, bringing in three kids from New Jersey who are in the top 30 in their state. He's got a number of players that we're connected to in the transfer portal, uh, as well as possibly the junior college route to get some immediate help. And I think that's how he's going to have to go because uh, we're going to need some help in the offensive line, quarterback, um, maybe even a couple receivers, linebacking core. So I think the transfer portal may be of benefit to uh, Bielema this year. Switching to basketball, Brad Underwood did not have what you would consider a normal off season. He had to replace all three assistant coaches he had five players that declared for the NBA draft. He had two players leave via the transfer portal. And actually, he had three that entered the transfer portal. Um, coaches Orlando Antigua, Chin Coleman, left for Kentucky, Stephen Gentry, left for Gonzaga. Underwood was able to replace um, the three coaches, you know, I, I wouldn't say easily, but, you uh, Fairly quickly, Virginia Tech assistant and former Line Eye guard Chester Frazier and DePaul assistant Tim Anderson were hired. He also promoted Jeff Alexander, who was assistant head coach, to the assistant coach role. The five players who uh, entered the draft were Io Dizumu, Georgie Oshanas Feely, Trent Frazier, DeMonte Williams, and Kofi Coburn. Now, the last three pulled themselves out of the draft, but Kofi Coburn went into the transfer portal, so that gave Illinois three guys in the transfer portal with Kofi with Coburn, and then you had uh, Adam Miller, freshman, and sophomore Jermaine Hamlin. Adam Miller had, was a starter all year for Illinois, and it's unknown why he actually entered the portal, but he transferred out. Now, Kofi did eventually come back to Illinois, but uh, he had some issues when he came back because while he was declared for the draft, he sold his equipment, which was legal. But when he in when he backed out of the draft and entered the transfer portal and signed or came back to Illinois, he came back prior to the passage of the name imaging. And likeness laws, which put him in violation for selling his gear, he self-reported and still ended up with a three-game suspension by the NCAA, which many people have called stupid. Now, the departure of Iodasumu, Georgia Feely and Adam Miller left Illinois a little bit of light in some areas. And Andy thought he was going to lose Kofi at the same time. So Underwood went to the transfer portal himself. He picked up 6'10", 240-pound junior Omar Payne from the University of Florida. He's not only tall, but he's long. He's got a 7-foot wingspan. He's a pretty good shot blocker, averaged about 1.2 blocks per game. He's having a little bit of a hard time, I think, adjusting to the Big Ten play. But I think he'll get there and be a very good backup, uh, at least defensively, for uh, Illinois. Now, to replace Io uh, and Georgie bishanis Feely, Andre Corbello, 6'1 point guard, was slated to re- take over for DeSumo. He's had a rough start this year. He missed the first game due to an injury, and now he's missed the last three due to complications from a concussion. He just hasn't gotten on track yet, barely hitting 30% from the floor two for 12 in three-point attempts, 16 turnovers to 22 assists. Now, last year, he was voted the best sixth man in the Big Ten. So hopefully he can get himself healthy and get his uh, head back together and be that guy that they want him to be. Senior Jacob Grandison, who played in 30 games last year, is another one that they're being counted on to kind of take the Adam Miller role, the shooting guard role maybe even the stretch four, if you will, or wing. Um, Right now, he seems to be doing well in that uh, multitasking role. He's got uh, 11.3 points a game, 4.1 rebounds. He's shooting 58% from the field and 50% from the arc, uh, which is needed uh, to replace what you lost with Zumu and uh, Miller. considering that Corbello's having his issues. Sophomore Coleman Hawkins, uh, 6'10", 215, uh, played mostly last year as a backup to Georgie and to Kofi. Uh, This year, with Payne in the the mix, he's going to be more of the uh, four, and I think that's going to suit him very well. He's averaging 9.6 points a game, 5.9 rebounds, shooting 51.9 from the floor. He leads the team in blocks with 10 and steals with 12. Um, so I think the four is going to suit him well. And if need be, he can back up Kofi. Another guy from the transfer portal was 6'1", 185-pound senior Alfonso Plummer from Utah. Very good three-point shooter. He averaged threes per game for Utah. points per game. In his first four games, though, he didn't seem to be more than just a bench-fuller option. But since the Kansas State game, he has been on an absolute tear, scoring 96 points in his last four games for a -a 24-point-a-game average. He started the last three in place of the injured Corbello, and I think he's making his bid to stay in that starting lineup. Uh, Underwood managed to sign three four-star recruits, and they're pitching in as well. Luke Goody, a 6'7", 200-pounder from Fort Wayne, Indiana, first-team All-State selection. He's a uh, shooting guard, big shooting guard, if you will. He's averaging about 12 minutes a game right now, four points, uh, 2.3 rebounds. He's shooting 42% from the field and just shy of 43% from the arc. Uh, Another contributor, freshman. Is 6'7, 205 pound RJ Melendez. He has quickly inserted himself into the rotation of players coming off the bench, even starting a game. Um, he is averaging about 15, 12 minutes, give or take, and about uh, four points a game. He's uh, shooting 52% from the floor, 6% from three. 6'5 uh, Brandon Pazinski, is the uh, other or the third of the trio. He's not getting as much playing time as the other guys. He's a um, uh, shooting guard, so he's kind of behind Frazier, Plummer, Grandison. And um, he'll get his playing time, but uh, probably won't be more of an impact player until next year. Two players coming back from injury, Benjamin Bozeman for Doc, 6'8", 235-pound redshirt sophomore, can play the 4 or 5. He's been injured the last couple years with a foot injury and uh, this year, he's he had a little bit of issues, still having some issues here and there, uh, but he's averaging six and a half rebounds a game in about 10 minutes playing time. Uh, the other uh, returning from injury is junior transfer Austin Hutcherson, 6'6", 190. Uh, sat out last year with a back injury. He's a shooting guard wing type, and uh, he's also having some a slow time getting started again this year uh, he was out for the first couple of games with the tailbone injury um, so he'll get he'll get there uh, the first four games Sol they went two and two and I think this was just a case of trying to find their rhythm with so many guys out uh, with Corbello hurt and Kofi on suspension and a couple of the guys were sick or hurt during that time period since then I think the players are getting more used to their roles, getting more used to each other in the different positions they're playing, and it's shown. Um, The last two games in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, they had a 10-point win over Notre Dame, and uh, their first conference game, they blew out Rutgers by 35 points. Um, Recruiting has been good for Underwood for next year. He's got three four-star recruits, every one of them. The number one player in their state, Ty Rogers, 6'6", 200-pound wing from Illinois. Jaden Epps, a 6'2", 195-combo guard from North Carolina. And Sincere Harris, a 6'3", 160-pound shooting guard from Ohio. They've also picked up a commitment from the transfer portal already. Baylor power forward Dane Danya, six nine, two seventy, 270, was a four-star recruit out of Park Center High School in Minnesota medical red shirt for 2021 and he will enter the university in the second semester but have to sit out until next year making him a red shirt sophomore one thing i want to do is uh bring on one of my colleagues from gateway city sports uh russ robinson or uncle frank i mentioned him earlier (laughs) um he's a contributor gateway city sports he he uh, follows missouri and the sec and I just want to have, have him on. We'll do a couple NCAA shows. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So we'll try and get him scheduled here. I want to try and get a bragging right get him on before the bragging rights game. Um, I think it'll be kind of fun, too. Well, I'll tell you what. That about does it for me. I want to thank everyone for listening. I want to remind you to check out gatewaycitysports.com for your podcasts and articles. And let us know what you think. You can uh, contact us via our Facebook page, Gateway City Sports. You can contact me on Twitter at Big D underscore GCS. And until next time, this is Talking Sports on the Bleachers.